Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. The European Union is considering a total embargo on Russian oil as it attempts to show its continued support for Ukraine against Russia's invasion. The news comes as Ukrainian officials say they hope to get more evacuees out of the ruins of the Azovstal steel plant in the southern city of Mariupol, even as Russian forces continue to shell the facility. Hundreds of civilians and Ukrainian fighters are still holed up in bunkers and tunnels underneath the plant. They're the last holdouts in a city Russian forces have reduced to rubble. Roughly 100 evacuees have now arrived in the city of Zaporizhia, and NPR's Joanna Kakissis met up with some of them. The convoy of vans and buses pulls up late in the afternoon in the parking lot of a home goods shopping center filled with aid workers and reporters. Oznat Lubrani is the UN's humanitarian coordinator for Ukraine. We've just uh, arrived. After a very complicated uh, operation, safe passage uh, operation. The UN and International Red Cross organized this mission. As Lubrani speaks, the evacuees walk off two large buses. They're pale, tired, and dazed. Aid workers lead them to a large tent where hot chicken soup awaits. A mother and her 14-year-old daughter wave me over. I'm Joanna. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Anna, Maya. Anna Krilova actually worked at the Azovstal steel plant. When Russia invaded Ukraine, Krilova was working a night shift. Her daughter came along because she's too young to stay at home. They did not leave for 70 days. As the bombings got worse and worse, they moved into the massive network of bunkers under the plant. It was really scary because we couldn't go outside. It was just too dangerous. And inside, we kept going from shelter to shelter because the bombs kept hitting. We were hungry. We were scared. We were under constant shelling. It's, it's like uh, apocalypses. It's like the horror films. Is that how you felt too, Maya? That you were in a horror film? Yes, it was very scary. And... Maya does not finish the thought. Her eyes fill with tears. Her mother wipes away her own tears and points to the front of a black sweatshirt she's wearing. It says all monsters are human. It's dirty, so you can't see the letters well, she says, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Across the table from her is English teacher Alex Dibko and his wife and young son. They shared an underground bunker with the Trilovas. So we had some benches. We put them together to sleep on. When heavy shelling started, children were afraid even to go to the toilets. He says the shelter was shaking, especially at night, when the bombing was the worst. The building was hit several times. We were trying to manage the fire, not to suffocate. So every day was a kind of fight for survival. The only bright spot, he says, was that some plant workers found a generator, so there was sporadic electricity. Many others lived in near darkness for two months, including 57-year-old Oleg Gurkin. He pulls out a headlamp he wore to get around. He says we could only move around in areas where we were covered under the plant because otherwise the drones and the fighter jets would spot us. He tells us that he and his wife cooked on a stove made of bricks blown loose from the explosions. Gherkin is a native of Mariupol. 
His eyes well up as he shows us a video of himself playing pop songs on his electric piano. He's a musician. Before the war, he performed at restaurants and cafes in Mariupol, those places by the sea where he laughed with friends and played all their requests. Yeah, but now, he says, the city is no more. He calls Mariupol a corpse and a ghost. And he says the last bit of life is hanging on under the Azovstal plant, where hundreds of Ukrainian soldiers and civilians remain. He hopes they get out like he did. Joanna Kakissis, NPR News, Zaporizhia, Ukraine. Support for NPR and the following message come from PBS. PBS invites you on a trip to the future. A Brief History of the Future is a groundbreaking series filled with hope and possibility about where people are today and what could come next. From tech to tradition, from climate to culture, from science to spirituality. Join futurist Ari Wallach on a journey around the world as he meets the brilliant minds and brave pioneers remaking people's futures for generations to come. A Brief History of the Future. Stream now on PBS and the PBS app. This message comes from NPR sponsor Linda Mood Bell. Linda Mood Bell's summer instruction for reading, comprehension, and math can help students catch up or get ahead. Summer instruction is designed to help children feel more confident, prepared, and excited about learning and school in the fall. Linda Mood Bell's evidence-based approach is individualized for all types of students with challenges that affect learning, including dyslexia. Learn more at lindamoodbell.com/npr. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.